0: For the 4.30 movie. The 4.30 movie podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Best movies never made as featured in entertainment weekly is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed gross and me, Mark A. Altman have a new oral history from St. Martin's press. It's secrets of the force, the complete uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio and video, pick it up today and you can learn the secrets of the force and don't miss our oral history of star trek in stores now and of course nobody does it better the complete oral history of james bond in digital hardcover paperback and audio that is all Hey, this is Mark A. Altman.
1: And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the inglorious
0: Trexperts. And we're about to go to the next phase of Bible study. We're, we're, we're transcending. You may think, I thought that was done. I thought you guys were finished with the Bible study. And uh, and so did we. Uh, <laughs> it never ends. It never ends. The because journey we've, continues. We've done all the produced Star Trek series, but... Um, We haven't done the unproduced Star Trek series. And it was suggested by one of our listeners. They said, hey, your job is not complete until you've done phase two.
3: My readings seem to indicate some sort of sensor unit attached to each device. My take on the character, which pretty much remained true through all of my exploration of Zahn, what I did get was that he was... A full Vulcan had no human connection, emotional, that emotions had been outlawed from his planet generationally as a way of stopping wars from occurring. But I don't feel an attack is the logical approach at this moment. If you will allow me to take further readings, I could- The first screen test that we did for Zong, they probably brought in, as many actors that would fit that physical description of the time. Zahn was like a 23, 24, 25 year old, fresh out of the Vulcan Science Academy, you know, young, engaging, sort of a character. And there was a lot of actors that I recognized from a lot of different theaters and actors who had done a lot of other film work. So it was a very competitive day. You could feel it like a football game. Who's going to throw the pass? Who's going to catch the pass? And I won. I won that football game. So we're going to go
0: through a little interface and we're going to uh, bring you the, the, because it was so uh, people, it was so gratifying to see how much people enjoyed our Bible study series, where we covered all the Star Trek series from uh, the original series through um, Enterprise, not necessarily in that order. Um, and um, very, it was very gratifying to see the, the response.
1: Yes, very friendly. Oh, no, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a different, that's a different thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, and of course, uh, you know, um, your long intergalactic nightmare is over. the The holiday special has finally uh, reached its merciful conclusion, and we're back to doing our regular episodes of the podcast. Um, and next week we start next
1: year's special.
0: <laughs> yes, and I've decided. I've decided that the next year's podcast should be uh, the 101 greatest episodes of Inglorious Trexperts. Right. Where we'll just do the best episodes of the podcast, counting down from one (laughs) hundred and one to number one.
2: But we number one is Rafe
0: Needleman. That's right. (laughs) It might be. It might be. (laughs) What? What, what Although, although the font
1: episode was pretty good. Or Nick
0: Meyer. What, Darren? The font episode. The font episode was pretty good. That's in the top ten.
1: Yeah.
0: Dave Addy, you made the top ten. I gotta say, the Rafe Needleman though was such a. Just everything came together in that episode. You know, it's so funny because people would think, oh, you know, you had so many big Star Trek stars on the show, you know, um, from all the different series. And and as much as I have enjoyed those wonderful episodes, um, I don't know if they'd be like my top five.
1: Here's the thing. We love the actors. We love talking to them about stuff. But they don't know much about Star Trek. And that's fine. Um, But I think that the that it's fun to talk about star trek with people who know star trek
0: yeah that's true that's true although i have to say you know like for instance anson was so fantastic because i think we didn't really talk that much about the, the shows he's involved with he's just such a such a cool guy interesting guy that that episode was really rewarding and i mean you know, it's funny because now that I think about, it, like, I thought Michael was fantastic, but yep. because we all yeah. hit it off on old movies, like that was more interesting to talking about for "Battle Come to Me." You know, and uh, and and um, and of course, Nana, as much as we love Deep Space Nine, is just such a fantastic, you know, personality and and so so interesting that that also was um, a yeah. really great great episode. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a, a different
1: it's, experience.
2: Yeah, it's you amazing. just talk to them about. You meet them where they are, right? Yeah. It's like the, the audience wants to to listen to them talk because they are who they are. So let them talk about are what they, they want to talk
0: about. It's like uh it's like uh it's like uh the break the bad news bears. Let them play. Let That's them right. play. Remember that in Breaking Training? Yeah. One yep. of the great great movies of 19 was it 77, 78? I don't I, I don't know. I don't know bad news bears and breaking training. I know it's sports. Movie. I never watch we... sports movies. How dare I bring up sports on the uh, glorious track sports? So okay, so if you had like, wh- like, a, wh- like, what episode? Like, if we were really doing it, which we're not doing the the best track sports episodes. So you mentioned fonts, Ashley. What do you think? You you have one that you would? It,
2: I have to tell you, I think I would say probably Bob Salin, and I'll tell you why. Because he was sitting there with people who, between us, like have seen Star Trek II and quadruple digits and was telling us things that we did not know yep. and knocking us on our asses. Mm. And he's such a wonderful raconteur. Um, and it was a delightful experience to sort of be in it, but also to listen to it, to be educated and edified by it, um, and it was just a lot of fun. I mean, I've always had a lot of fun, but I think nothing surprised me more than that, that experience
0: with Bob. I have to say, it's funny you say that. For me, it might be a toss-up between Merv Block and Joe D'Augusta. Yeah. At least, certainly for last year, for 2021. I love those episodes. Merv Block was just a force of nature. Um, and, and involved with so many movies that I loved and uh in his long career. The fact that you know his story about how he was a driver on North by Northwest, that was his first experience in Hollywood. So that that won me over immediately. And his Orson Welles stories are you know insanely uh uh delicious. And then of course, um, you know, Joe degusta I mean, my God, we could talk to him for another three hours, and um you know his story about Linda Hunt, but the, the story about Irwin Allen to me. I mean, again, it's like here we are, uh, supposedly a Star Trek podcast, but I always find some of our most interesting episodes when we're not talking about Star Trek. When we're talking about, you know, Star Trek adjacent, as as we've talked about. Um, by the way, speaking of which, I I want a big thank you to um, Trek Movie for uh, yeah. listing us. They did their best of the year list, best at Star Trek 2021. And um, their their best Star Trek podcast, um, non-celebrity edition, because the celebrity edition went to Delta Flyers, um, uh, was uh, Inglourious Trucksports. Nice. Now, I have to say, I'm not sure that there are any bigger celebrities than we are, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in But, I mean, you know, let's face it. I mean, Ashley does... I think more people have seen uh, your show on Netflix than, than ever watched uh, Voyager, but okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but but anyway, I'm quibbling. Of course, I'm, I'm joking because it was uh, it was lovely. Lovely. Uh, somebody had said to me, oh, did you see that uh, Trek Movie had named the uh, Trekspert's um, uh, best podcast of the year? And I, I said, no, I hadn't. And I just thought that was really... Um, uh, that was that was really wonderful them and, and much appreciated. And, you know, the reason for that is uh, because it brings new people to the podcast. Yeah. And that's that's why we do it. And so, uh, you know, to Anthony and Brian and Laurie and, uh, and and uh, uh, um, uh, Shirley, Neil Shirley and, and um, everyone. You know, I want to thank them for uh, recognizing the show. It's uh, deeply appreciated. But we got we got our fair share of celebrities on this podcast, too. Okay. <laughs> we got ben Rob Burnett from the Burnett Network. Who, who uh, could uh, be on bigger alone. than that? <laughs> long, exactly. He's on loan from the Burnett Exactly. Network. So, if, you know, anyway, but uh, I, I, I I'm not, you know, anything I say is going to get me in trouble now. So I'm not going to go on about this whole celebrity versus you guys, because, you know. Anyway, it's just going to get me in trouble, so I'm going to, I'm going to stop, and, I'm going to say, and I, I've never heard the Delta Flyers, but I'm sure it's, it's wonderful. That's a really interesting trend that's going on right now with these um, actors who go back and revisit um, shows that they were on many years ago. Uh, I know the Office one is hugely popular, the Office Ladies with uh, Jenna Fisher and uh, Angela Kinsey, um, but I guess they're doing now for the O.C., and uh, Sopranos did one with uh, Michael Imperioli and Steve yep. Sherpa, um, which I read the book, but I haven't heard the podcast.
1: I watched the podcast. It's uh, it's rather lengthy.
0: Is it? Yeah. Is it any good?
1: Um, I I'm I I love The Sopranos, but the uh, the podcast is a little flat for me. Mm. But, you know, the book was it's good. Just my personal preference.
0: The book was good. I just read. Speaking of books, I just read the um that book about the fifty years HBO, and um which now I forget what it's called. HBO's 50-year mission? Yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the yeah, oral that's... history of HBO? Yeah,
0: it's... Um... <laughs> um, it's interesting, obviously, because I have a very critical eye of oral histories uh, for obvious reasons, but um, it's quite good. Uh, it's a little too long. They spend a little too much time on HBO Sports and not enough on some of the uh, uh, signature shows, but um, it's... Um... It's a great book, you know, and uh, I really, really enjoyed reading it um, now I'm reading a book about nineteen seventy four because my wife got to me for the holidays, and it's a fantastic book, and I'm really enjoying it so okay, okay. um phase two phase two, phase two which phase incidentally wasn't
1: actually called phase two that's just what we call it posthumously
0: yeah, and it, it's so interesting that um Rathakan, you know uh gene Ra- or what would have been what it became star trek 2 gene Rodberry used to always call star trek 3 if you look at the script for um his infamous jfk script right. um it's called star trek 3 because he always considered the original star trek star trek Star trek 1 I, 1 and then motion picture 2 and then uh, you know, the next one would have been Star Trek 3. I never understood that. It, it was it's, it's very confusing.
1: <laughs> well, you so, see, Mark, uh, the first one is always marked with a one. And uh, the television show was first, of course, if you remember, uh, in the 60s. Uh, and then we did the first movie, which was number two.
2: Uh, <laughs> no, I thought it was quite good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, God. Look, a
2: lot of people at the time thought it was number two, but they were just wrong
0: they were wrong. So Darren, tell us just to set the table a little bit, what phase two was for those, uh, who may not be familiar exactly. We're about to do the phase two Bible, but they may not know what phase two was. Well, of course, during the,
1: uh, during the spread of years between around 1975 through 1979, uh, Paramount was trying to figure out what they wanted to do with Star Trek. Um, They started out with uh, trying to develop uh, movies. Uh, They went through a couple of uh, iterations there. And then around, I believe, 1976 or very early 77, I believe. People will correct me, I'm sure. Um, On the internet? They they started to plan a, a Paramount network for television and the uh keystone of this service would be a new star trek series that uh, they would produce and gene roddenberry would uh, would uh, be in the driver's seat and so they took uh, some of the energy from the development of the star trek films and the fact that they had uh, the actors on retainer basically to keep them available um, and they use that to uh, to uh, announce and uh, go through a, a lot of pre-production and writing uh, on the series, which would be called Star Trek II, not Phase Two. Um, and uh, that is how it started. And of course, you know, around the time uh, the stories have it differently, uh, depending on who tells it. But uh, the impetus to stop the production of the TV series uh, and make it an actual motion picture was uh, around the time after Star Wars opened and around the time that Close Encounters opened uh, because the Paramount uh, brass thought that, oh, people will be so fed up with Star Wars, they won't want science fiction anymore. And of course, Close Encounters comes out and does huge box office and they say, what are we doing? Don't we have a sci-fi thing? And uh, supposedly Charlie Bluthorn uh, said, uh, why don't we do that, uh, the Star Trek thing? And so uh, that's when they, uh, they, they put the brakes on phase two and, uh, and started the development of the motion picture.
0: Well, it's interesting because obviously I wouldn't say that that story is apocryphal because I, I've printed that story many times in many interviews. Um, that uh, everyone from Phil Kaufman to uh, you know Harold Livingston, a lot, lot of people have all said this, but th- there was definitely another factor, which was that uh, Paramount was not able to clear enough markets for their right. fourth network. They couldn't get enough affiliates. They couldn't get enough affiliates. This was going to be Saturday night. And a part of it was that NBC, a lot of the NBC affiliates, which were not doing particularly well on Saturday night, were willing to program uh the paramount hughes network programming on saturday nights but then mbc i think it was nbc sweetened the deal um so they lost some of those affiliates and they couldn't clear enough markets so they couldn't sell soured the milk and it soured the milk so <laughs> so anyway i think that is just as um probably had as much to do about the death of phase two is, as, as, as uh the success of uh, a star no Wars and uh, close encounters, which yep. definitely was the impetus for going back and doing it as a, a bigger budget movie. Never in a million years did they think it would be a $43 million movie, but you know, they, they certainly, it was, I think 8 million, which was more than they were going to spend prior, which was going to be 3 million.
1: Well, of course we've talked about this before that the, the budget for the motion picture folded in all the development costs, from all those years yeah. of uh, movies and Phase Two, yes,
0: so, yes. Have it we have calculated also...
2: that in two thousand twenty-one dollars?
0: We That's should not... calculate that in two thousand. Yeah, tell us uh, what, what that would be. Tell would us, you... Ashley. Let's if, find out. Can we ask our it's, smart? Was, so, what was
2: the budget in computer? Uh,
1: so
0: Forty-three million.
2: 40 million.
1: Just times ten. Uh, Four hundred and fifty million dollars. That's probably close, actually. It's <laughs> yes, what well, in
0: 2021? Damn it. All right, let's see if we get what the answer. I'm, I'm looking for the answers, damn it. He's doing the math. He's reasoning well, okay. it out. Okay. He's um, reasoned it out. So,
2: um, good God. What, what That's is, a lot.
0: Um, are we talking Avatar numbers?
2: It's like uh, 181 million dollars. Wow! Hmm.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's that's a big movie, but that's not as big, big as a captain. <laughs>
2: that's not so big as her a captain, I think. <laughs> Wrong movie, it.
0: but. Yeah. But um, wow! Wow,
1: that's exciting.
0: I I I I find that fascinating. Actually, that it uh, it's God, and it's funny because if you look at it. Yeah, 183 million dollars. Jeez. Yeah, uh, talking film. See that,
2: you know, <laughs> but the thing is, in today's dollars, that's about what you would expect for a major blockbuster.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's or, not out of line. No, it's it, it's 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 not. I mean, and at the time, what the only movie that had cost more than Star Trek was Cleopatra. Really, I didn't realize that. Isn't that true, Darren? Am I talking out of school here? I I don't know, honestly. I uh, think I'm, I'm right. I'm not
1: a Cleopatra spur. <laughs>
0: Cleopatra, uh, not a Cleopatra <laughs> Okay. Well, Richard Burton was. Um, okay, so anyway, um, we're doing the, the phase two Bible. This is a Bible, and again, I keep saying Bible, and I know there's someone out there in the cold who's getting very angry, but yeah. again, Let's the keep writer's saying
2: the word Bible just to make they it have angry.
0: no
1: cause to be
0: angry. The writer's and director's guide in television is called,
1: it's a, called Bible. a Bible.
0: So That's we're right. going to so continue to use the word Bible. It doesn't mean we're endorsing any religion. It doesn't mean we believe that Star Trek is anything but a secular show. It just means that it's called the Bible and you really need to chill out. Okay. So. I uh, believe it it's
1: book. It's what they call it, a yeah.
0: bibliography. <laughs>
2: like, God damn uneducated. Anyway, go ahead.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. Our people yeah. are so glad we're done with the uh, top 101 list so we can come back and meander. Um, That's right. Talking you know, about not.
2: the apocrypha now. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, it got to the point we would start with these little asides on the um, on the top 101 list. And then suddenly, once we started, we'd realize these were three hour episodes. And so we, we rapidly decided it was time to stop doing the little asides and get right into the countdown. <laughs> this
2: happens every year. Happen. It's the fourth time. <laughs> Clark, we just
1: keep doing it. We never Clark, learn. We're in an aside right now. Yeah, yeah a, we're, we're, we're
0: about to go outside the in the aside. We're 20, we're 20 minutes in. That's right. But that's why people listen to these uh, Trek Movies number one non-celebrity <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh. Non-celebrity <sighs> podcast. It's not like I'm a best-selling author. Oh um, and showrunner, but no, and movie producer. Um uh, stop that, Altman. That is just rude. No okay, one no
2: one cares because we're not actors. Have I mentioned that the second season of my hit series, Doted Dragons Blood, drops on Netflix on January eighteenth? You just did.
0: Oh, good. Okay. Well, you're I'm learning from me,
2: Mark. I'm watching how you move, buddy. You're, 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 right.
0: a, cele- you're a celebrity to me. Damn right I yeah. am. So, okay. You can touch me. Everybody can have those fifteen minutes. That's right. Um, <laughs> okay. So this is the Star Trek Phase Two Bible, and. Um, It is the attempt, again, there were a number of scripts that were actually developed and written for the show under the aegis of head writer, showrunner, Harold Livingston. If that name sounds familiar, Harold is the man who co-wrote the Star Trek The Motion Picture screenplay with um, Gene Roddenberry. Um, It was interesting because uh, he had just come off a show, I think it was, what, um, Future Man, I believe, Darren? I think Um, so, yeah. And uh, What's he new, was... future new Futureman. Futureman. <laughs> and it's so interesting.. <laughs> attorney of law. ABC had brought him in to take over uh, to run Fantasy Island because the guy who created it, the network was convinced it was a disaster. Mm. And uh, it wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna work. And um, And uh, so Harold Livingston was waiting uh, in the wings to come take it over. and then the show debuts. It's a huge hit, and suddenly Harold no longer had a job. Uh, and and I guess uh, he famously tells the story that um, he said to Aaron Spelling, "I, I can't believe you're going to do this to me. You literally like put my stuff out on the street from my office, and nobody even told me that I had been fired." I says, I ah, don't worry, we'll give you another show." And eventually, he did. But um, but Living- so Livingston um, was going to run the sh- run the show. With the help of uh, the wonderful and talented John Povell, who uh, had been helping and working very closely with Gene Ronberry for a number of years as his assistant, his uh, carpenter, his um, uh, uh, consigliere, um, and uh, he would eventually come and work under Harold Livingston. So I don't know who wrote this Bible, but. Um, but And it does seem that some of it was um, lifted from previous Bibles for TOS. Absolutely. Um, and that may, again, be, you know, because Lincoln Enterprises needed Bibles to sell. But uh, Like the Mormons. Wait, what? But there's no one better to take us through the beginning of the Bible than Gene himself. So, Gene, if you would come down and join us on the show again, uh, because we need more celebrities on the show, apparently. Um <laughs> to read the beginning of this phase two Bible.
1: Well, our new episodes portray the second five-year mission of the USS Enterprise. Following its first mission, the Starship had returned back home and entered orbital dry dock in the naval yards high over San Francisco, where the vessel has been completely refit. The basic contours, both interior and exterior, remain generally the same. The vessel functions in basically the same way. However, the details of the vessel, such as instrumentation, readout systems, and controls, are vastly more sophisticated than in the original Enterprise. So, for the buttons,
0: they're touch sensitive. That's right. right. We
1: have all new buttons.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, beeping and flashing. Now, obviously, flashing and beeping. beeping.
0: For the people who are familiar with uh, phase two, they know the big difference was that Larry Nimoy, who was having some success on Broadway and a lot of problems with Paramount, had decided, and Gene, that he would not be returning to Star Trek. And so the role of Spock was recast with another Vulcan. So, uh, Gene, if you would continue.
1: Well, the character of Mr. Spock will be missed, but we still hope he will return often as a guest star when he's not on Broadway. In the meantime, a young Vulcan named Zahn is new science officer replacement and is a character with dimensions and qualities uniquely his own.
0: Uh, Now, it's interesting because um, it says here, and I seem to remember this being in the Star Trek, the motion picture novelization. um, Few starships have ever completed a five year mission and none but the USS Enterprise has returned with its original uh, crew virtually intact. Well, try telling that to the family of all those red who died. Perhaps that explains um, that explanation. Considering for the so number many
2: Constitution-class vessels that we saw blown destroyed. up.
1: Yeah, well, there I was mean, only 12 kind of like the Enterprise in the fleet.
0: So well, let's see. The, right. the Intrepid was destroyed, which was all uh-huh. weapons. The, the, uh, disappeared the disappeared into defiant. interface the, space. Now, the Exeter was not destroyed. Its crew was destroyed. Its crew was destroyed. I ships- think they... I think with they left good, the Exeter So they could totally I mean, just recruit got a mate his partners. Or a, uh, you, you brought a maid or a housekeeper or the Shadow Mapes on board you, right. you know, and, and vacuumed up all that salt. You just got to hose that well, down. Well, remember, the, the, the
1: disease was on board the Exeter. That's why the landing party had to go back down to the planet. So
0: they probably just nuked it in orbit. Oh, yeah. I yeah. guess they would have had it. It's the team. only way to be sure. No, but don't they say that after you? Oh no, I guess you had to no. go on the planet to. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, they probably would have had to destroy the ship. That's a shame. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Social so that's distancing another, for
2: starships. It's, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, that's another constellation class ship. That's uh, that's gone. She's gone. There's nothing we can say about that's it. That's
1: a constellation
0: class ship. The <laughs> <consolation> uh, <laughs> uh, and the <laughs> constellation. Did we talk about the, const- the constellation? Is gone too. The the constellation, constellation was. Uh, don't uh, you think we know that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a lot. Yeah, the Enterprise was lucky to come back uh, all intact.
1: Now, this is a footnote in the Star Trek: The Motion Picture novel that Roddenberry wrote.
0: Okay, that's what I thought. Okay.
1: Uh, and it's, but it's only a footnote. It's on in, it's not in the regular uh, mm. text of the book, which is why you can't find it on the um, uh, the ebook versions because they don't oh. include they don't include the uh subtext in there so
0: yeah so people don't know really why. need to have that original you need um, to find a, a bound book version, version
1: on ebay or something uh i have several just in
0: case <laughs> <laughs> or, li- or li- listen to darren read it on the podcast <laughs> that, that's another one of my favorite episodes you doing the novelization that well, was a great fun. episode that's a good episode well we
1: have more that's changed on phase two yeah let's continue gene Thank you very much. The first officer of the enterprise is Commander Will Decker. Second in command under Kirk. See page thirteen. At the navigator station will be Lieutenant Ailia, a strange, beautiful female native of Federation planet Delta Five.
0: Oh yeah. Oh my God! Just because Rob's not here, you have to do the Rob the Rob role <laughs> today. Will be played by Ashley Miller. <laughs> Somebody has to. <laughs> uh, to He's quote another Charlie in.
1: Bluthorn uh, uh, quote. You think bald is sexy?
0: Yeah, that's a famous <laughs> quote that he had to um, uh, to Michael Eisner when yeah. he was uh, interviewing Harv Bennett to take over the franchise. Yeah. And uh, he was so dismissive of Star Trek, the motion picture. His daughter was a big fan of Star Trek um, <laughs> and uh, which was a reason he was so hot to get Star Trek going. But uh, yeah, he he was everything that star trek the motion picture he just hated because everyone at paramount felt they left so much money on the table had they made a quote-unquote better movie in their opinion
1: what has happened to our favorite uh, uh, cast members well i'll tell you Chekhov is now a full lieutenant and commands the starship security division bones mccoy scotty uhura and sulu are all at their familiar stations we'll also see yeoman janice rand again our former head nurse is now Dr. Christine Chapel, take that. We will still use science fiction to make comments on today, but today is now a dozen years later than the first Star Trek. Humanity faces many new questions and puzzles which were not obvious back in the 60s, all of them suggesting new stories and themes. Also, television censorship has relaxed enormously during those same years, opening up still more new story areas, or certainly more honesty in some old areas. Uh, Television has become much more sophisticated in other ways. Older ponderous dialogue patterns have given way, thank you, MASH, to more realism through the use of fragmented sentences, overlaps and interruptions. Better camera techniques, new film emulsions and exciting new optical and tape effects all make increased realism possible.
0: But you know what's so funny? that all the stuff that he's pointing out they didn't do any of it for next gen
1: none of it it's just it's, <laughs> yeah. it's none
2: of
0: it i'm next really gen. excited
1: about sentence fragments but well they they did exciting new optical and tape effects
0: yeah that's true yeah, yeah that's about They it. totally did but 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 in terms of everything else that he's talking about not at all not at all yeah. it was it was exactly we're doing exactly what they did on the original series but it was 20 years later and it well, did not because
1: he realized it was a foolish
0: idea <laughs> Star Trek Star- uh, I, Oh, go ahead, Dean.
1: I was going, going to say Star Trek will take more looks into the private and off-duty lives of our characters, more realism here too in very human areas such as when and what they eat, 23rd century bathing, changing clothes, <laughs> playing,
0: and relaxing. We know what
1: he we know what he means by that. I, 23rd I, I,
0: century I, bathing. I, I can't drink when we're. I can't. I was having water. When we're when Dean read that, and I mean, oh my, I can't do that while we're recording this podcast. It's too funny. Twenty well, third uh, century bathing—that's bathing. right up there with the standing in a closet with the sailor. Uh, <laughs> that's what do you think they're doing in the closet? That's what I've really turned to Star Trek for insight into what twenty third century it's bathing, bathing was like.
2: like. Well, it's the sonic shower,
0: it's which about is personal
2: hygiene. Not a bad scene. <laughs> my God, changing
0: clothes. Changing, changing clothes. Yeah. What? what? Yeah. Let's 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 parse this as when and what they eat. Okay, Uh so, you know, you are what you eat. 23rd century bathing, (laughs) changing clothes, clothes. playing like they're Barbie dolls and relaxing.
1: Well, they will become Barbie dolls. That's the magic of it.
0: It's a great episode, that's an where episode the crew actually. Who is turned into Barbie <laughs> <And> Barbie dolls. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's still the captain. Now it's interesting because this does pave the way for next gen which is there will be less battleship sterility in the design of the refit enterprise bridge engineering and other work sections will stend, uh, still tend towards functionalism but in other sections of the vessel we'll see something of the art forms appreciated and collected by interstellar travelers. That's interesting. They're saying yeah. like art and sculpture that, you know, aliens might have uh, 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 th- like, that's interesting. And it's funny because you don't really see that in the in the movie at all. In motion picture, you know, uh, they, they do deal with the game in the rec deck um, and they, they never really do that uh, in terms of even Picard. He has his little shelf and his little ships, but there's not like a sense of like, oh, here's a bunch of, you know, art forms. You know, because
1: that takes money.
0: Yeah, yeah, it
2: takes like, you just sort of sit back and go, what even is that? And will it stand up? It's like, you, you know, that about like, it
1: and design it. You can't yeah, just, here, here's an expensive you can't just write about it and expect it to
0: show up. Yeah, here's an expensive sentence. Yeah. Affection for life forms will we'll extend, extend to vegetation, vegetation and we'll see exotic and sometimes mysterious plant life. Collected from Affection half a for line
2: producers will extend to not doing anything. You, in can, this you can
1: just sense. you can just hear the Sharpie going through that line. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. can smell the ink.
0: <laughs> well, you guys know who the, the line producer on this was. It was uh, ultimately he went on to um, uh, X-Files. Um what's his name?
4: Don't know what's the, his
0: name uh it, it it doesn't matter but it was it was a guy one of the producers of x files okay um all right then. would would, uh, would and he he left when um it became a movie even though they wanted right. him to stay but right. he said right right, he right wanted right. to do, do television um and then of we'll course you look know,
1: that up in the 50-year mission
0: i'll have to look that up yeah because we interviewed him Ed interviewed him for yeah. the 50-year mission it, it was an interesting interview obviously okay the essential format will not change action, adventure, entertainment, and some fun for us, too, as we speculate <laughs> where we humans are, where we're going, and what it's really about. That's such what a 70s line. That's yeah. so 70s. And what it's really, really about. All about. <laughs> yeah. All about. All about. Excuse me. I stand corrected. Not what uh-huh. some of it is about. What all, it's all, all about. about. The Damn whole schmier. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, when we reviewed the Bible and, and maybe it's too soon is, you know, that, that big tantalizing, what if, which is what if, what if yes. this show had been made, right? What, what would that have meant for Star Trek? How long would it have gone? Would it have, what kind of a reputation would it have? You know, w- what, what if, what would things have, what would have happened had phase two happened?
1: I think it's a very interesting thought experiment. And I, I think I know what would have happened. Um, of course, they would have gone as cheap as possible because they weren't going to risk a lot on this. I mean, bringing, bringing Roddenberry in was enough of a risk on its own. Uh, But, you know, when we have Gene talking about, uh, you know, cheaper ways of doing uh, effects and things like that, you know that they were going to go the video effects route. And at that time in the 70s, it would have looked like absolute Um, K-R-A-P. In Cincinnati. Yeah. And uh, I think that that aspect, which so many people, uh, you know, are drawn to in a Star Trek series that aspect would have, uh, failed a bit. Yeah. just just yeah. my guess. And the fact that absolutely this show would have not been done with Leonard Nimoy and Leonard Nimoy would have never gone and done the show, even as a guest star spot, unless they paid him a, a crap ton of money. Um, crap ton, not, not Krypton. Um, ton of money. <laughs> uh, it, you know, one, completely essential factor to star trek at least the star trek that we're talking about now um would have been gone and that i don't think that that magic would have been there with david gotro as Zahn. uh Ooh. i i don't think so at all i think it would have it would have lasted a season mm-hmm. and that's it it would have been too
0: short a season well i think you're, you're exactly right because i think that if you look at um the uh, the test footage of those sets, and you know, later on, you of course hear Robert Wise talking about uh, after being shown the sets for starting *Strengthening* yeah. picture. He said, "No, we have to redo these sets. These are not yeah. movie sets; these are TV sets, and that's being charitable." Yeah. Um, and if you you watch the footage, they're, they don't even look as good as the the, the sets in the '60s. Right. Um, I think you know what would have happened is you have a studio that was basically barely getting this fourth network on the air that wasn't going to be willing to deficit a whole lot of money because the, at the time there was no home video to recoup on, you know, there would have been maybe syndication uh, down the line. There would have been, you know, foreign, uh, they could have sold to foreign markets, but there wasn't a huge pot of the gold for them necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so th- there would have been this insistence, like you said, of keeping the budget low. And um, it, you know, and and the the problem was because of what would have happened in seventy seven with Star Wars and closing towers The expectations for visual effects and 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 production would be that much more high among an audience, and there would be a huge disconnect with um, uh, between the audience uh, that was watching it and what their expectations were for Star Trek of the seventies, which would be very different than what it was in the sixties, which right. would require a much bigger budget.
2: And it probably would have been. I mean, I, I don't know how to say this without making it sound wrong. Um, it probably would have been way closer to the things that I think some people negatively associate with Star Trek, the motion picture. I think we all obviously agree that that's unfair. But uh, but I think it would have been way closer to that, um, except not as well realized, not as well Directed. I, I, I don't know that in the, with the absence of Spock that that necessarily would have worked. I think Darren is right. I think it would have gone a season. And the difference between, you know, doing that as a season of television and doing that as a movie is I think it's a lot easier for the franchise to recover from a film that isn't perceived to have worked than it is to recover from a season of a reboot that is not perceived to have worked. Cause I don't know like what, wh- how you even begin to make the business case for the equivalent of a, of a Wrath of Khan, you know, in the television space, if the, uh, if the, if
1: Star Trek, what we call phase two hadn't gone. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a question that I get asked all the time. What do you think would have happened if phase two had happened? And I think it would have, it would have died right there. And uh, we would have not gotten any movies. We would have not uh, had a rebirth of the of the franchise. We wouldn't have had a franchise. No, it would have been done. And uh, it's, certainly, uh, they would not have allowed. You know, even if it had occurred to them
2: ten years later to try it again, there is no way they would have allowed Roddenberry to be involved with it. Yeah, they would have taken it completely out of his hands and and tried it in a different way. They would have given it to
1: Glenn Larson. Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm trying to imagine. I, Glenn, I think Glenn Larson would have been uh, a little busy with, uh, uh, you know, Battlestar Galactica in 1987. Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah, I because, wish. It, because there was no Star Trek to, to oh, deflect yeah, from it. True. So, I like that alternate. Well, I mean, I don't <laughs>
2: like the alternate history, it's but an it's alternate an alternate universe. Yeah. It's an alternate universe that I, you know. That Battlestar to? here. Yeah, yeah
1: totally. Um, you know let's uh, let's go into what is a star trek story because this was brought up in previous uh uh bibles um and i'm not going to read it as gene because gene is tired and he doesn't want to do any more without getting money so um i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna go through this what is a star trek story while the construction and development of all television series stories is similar star trek's attraction to both its fans and general audience Has been unique its attraction has also been extremely broad ranging from children to college presidents and astronauts and college astronauts and astronaut presidents the more successful star trek episodes have all followed five basic rules rule number one our stories are about people who act believably this is an important thing and i think it's uh it's something that's missing somehow from later versions. Yes, I think that's true. Um,
2: and I, honestly, I, I think that that has been true in, in you know, even without necessarily just sort of throwing shade at the usual suspects. I, right. I think even like the first season or so of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, for example, or some of the later series at times, which simply broke that rule you well, know
1: you know Worf jumping up and trying to shoot the uh the
2: front <laughs> shoot viewer. The, the viewer exactly yeah. well there Where goes that rule right up what are you planning to do
1: Mr Wolf? <laughs> they
2: were yeah. holding my view screen <laughs> um <laughs> it's
1: uh, it it says here uh all good stories are about people and science fiction is no exception the more believable the people the better the story Science fiction story characters must be written as carefully as characters in any contemporary drama, reacting and interacting as real people behave. Whatever gadgetry we show must be believable, too. It must be an extension of some present science fact or theory. But isn't it interesting? Like a cell phone. (laughs) Like a cell phone. Exactly. Like this little flip phone things. Um,
2: Isn't it interesting, though, that this is rule number one? Yeah. But the rule that the the writing staffs for the later shows really struggled against was Jean's uh, reticence to show characters in conflict, which is one of the things that like led to characters not behaving believably, like in those first, you know, two seasons of Star Trek and next generation. It's like, right. because real people get into conflict, like even friends, even people who are close, people who have honest disagreements, who right. see the world in different ways. And, um, And and very often that was missing. It wasn't missing in the original series, but it would have been interesting to see how that played out in 1977. And by the way, notice that at no point, even in like, we're gonna get into this in the next section, uh, but at no point does does that rule become text, that the rule number one is people have to behave realistically. Right. Um. And it hasn't like metastasized. You know. Well, not into necessarily
1: that. realistically, but believably. Believably, They're two different right. things. True. Because uh, you know everything depends on the context and True. what situation it is. Um. Rule number two: Star Trek has an optimistic projection of the future. Uh, if our society at the time of Star Trek has advanced to a point of interstellar travel and coexisting with diverse planets and life forms, then it must be assumed that we have also solved our petty squabbles and prejudices of the 20th century. They would have also learned an affection for diversity. They do not judge other worlds and other life forms by Earth standards. That's not necessarily true.
0: Mm, However, sure. on,
1: on Earth or the Enterprise, life is not dull. The challenge of self and self-improvement have replaced the old fears and aggressions here is i think i think roddenberry did have a lot to do with writing this because Mm -hmm. this is where after all his uh speeches at colleges he began to develop his uh you know his new human theories and uh the idea that this was a a perfect society and I think that led him down a primrose path that led to uh, uh, being something not dramatic, something not dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. But
2: if you look the way that to me, when I I read that paragraph, it's like he is still walking a line, right? Where he's not saying our characters aren't in conflict with each other. He's saying that like a a lot of the, the baser things have, have gone away. Right. There's still there's it seems like it's still allowing for truly human behavior and kind of inhuman responses to right to things that seem to be by the time we get into the era of the next generation, the way that they're talking about it is if like those things have gone away as well. Everybody sees the world in the same way and it's all utopian and it's all happy. And it's that's
1: certainly not like what's being suggested here. Number three is the story POV is that of our captain and crew. Now, uh, before I go into the description, this is, this is sort of an obvious thing that our captain and crew are not secondary characters in someone else's story. Okay. It's someone else's story gets added to our crew's story. That's the difference. And it's told from their point of view, what happens to them and what affects them. Uh, you know, we, we don't start out on some, uh, uh, you know, rogue planet somewhere and spend uh, 20 minutes with uh, someone uh, and their uh, struggle to survive, only to find the Enterprise showing up. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely told from our character's point of view. Um, and it says, these are the voyage of voyages of the Starship Enterprise and the adventures of its captain and crew. We see and feel our stories through the eyes and emotions of our regular characters. A story can depart briefly to the POV of a guest star, but always returns to indicate how this action has affected our regular characters of the vessel they depend upon. It is not enough for our starship and crew to run into something fascinating in space or on a strange new world. That something they run into must also create a strong jeopardy or a need involving one or more of the regular characters. A jeopardy or need involving a guest star is not enough, unless that guest star's safety and or need has become of paramount importance to one of yeah. our regular characters. So I, what do you think about that? I think that's, a, that's an absolutely essential thing. And it, it tells you know, more of the structure of the TV series than anything else. For sure. I
2: mean, look, it's actually, it's a, it's a fairly good role for for television that for the most part you want to sit in the, the point of view of your regular cast, right? Because look, when people sit down to watch a television show, you know, they're inviting characters into their home um, and they come back week after week because they want to invite those characters back into their home week right. after week. Like, you know, and you look at almost any procedural on the air. I mean, they always come back to those core characters and kind of how we, know perceive the the problem from their point of view frankly like one of the things that makes me craziest about those sorts of shows is when it reduces the the regular characters to simply being spectators right um to what's happening with the guest stars and i think for a show like star trek especially right where it's you know we're talking about like it's an adventure show it's like it's it is about these people they they should not ever be spectators and i think that this is a great this is a great rule. And it's actually like, it's a great way to, um, to portray the other rules, right? Uh, so that, that the audience is interpreting them in the correct context, because what you don't want is to do, a, I mean, I guess it could be a great sort of off concept idea, but you don't want to do a show where these guys show up and they're basically like, you know, um, they know everything and they're better than us and right. they want to be super judgy. And tell us not to be bad. I mean, th- that's no fun.
1: That's no good. Well, which is why a TV series based on uh, Klaatu and Gort wouldn't have worked. You know what? Unless they were fighting crime. Well, of course they're fighting crime, but they're they're also destroying planets along the way.
2: Well, yeah, but that's
1: like a <laughs> that's a side gig. <laughs> uh, number four, our regulars are heroes. We can be heroes. they believe that their word and their oath is their bond they believe there are principles worth a life of discomfort and danger and even carry the old-fashioned belief that there are things even worth dying for if necessary Uh, however in most other ways they are very much 23rd century humans and have Few of the sexual social and economic hang-ups of their 20th century ancestors this is a rotten line oh yeah for sure uh, their values and ideals do not center exclusively on things affecting only earth and humans um which i think is a good thing i mean look this is the this is the aspirational part of the stories right these are characters that we are supposed to look up to and respect and want them to win because their attitude is pure and good right right so it's it's uh it's some things that uh that occur in shows now is that we're you know we're dealing with either anti-heroes or uh or simple simple people by the you know by the measurement of the audience that we're seeing people just like the audience in the shows right right
2: it's purely a mirror i mean of course, the, the, the extreme of that, and it's interesting because, again, it wasn't a problem that the original series had, is that it wasn't pure moral narcissism where, you know, the the characters were good simply because their beliefs were good. That what they encountered in the stories tended to challenge their idea of, of what was moral, which is what led to great dramatic choices. Um, right. You would not have a taste of Armageddon if uh, if – Captain Kirk's notion of what was moral, of of what was most to be valued, right. um, what meant the most, wasn't challenged in some way. That's what yeah. makes the ending of that episode so good.
1: Well, what what makes the what makes the decisions of the characters uh, interesting is when you know, for example, Kirk chooses to ignore the prime directive. That's right, because it's for the greater good, so to speak. Shoot to get. So,
0: <laughs> I think it's so interesting because, of course, you know, television in the 50s and the early 60s was so much about the guest characters. You know, that's why TV guide yeah. would always say guest star, so-and-so, you know. Yep. And um, I think that what Star Trek realized was, you no, know, it's about our principles and 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 how the outside influences, the external factors influence us. And, and I think it's really interesting that Michael Piller on Next Generation, who's a guy – who didn't necessarily have an affinity for the original series, immediately realized that was the same of Next Generation. Right. And, and it was super important. And what he ended up doing and implementing, and this was really important, was he didn't care about the guest stars. How did they affect our people? How do they act on our people? And uh, you know, he wasn't interested in buying stories that were about you know the guest star. It was only about how the guest star uh, impacted on our crew
1: and uh yeah we uh we uh we're talking about number four about our regulars are heroes and they have a uh, if just a for one code, day a code that they live <laughs> yes <laughs> a code that they live by and they are they can be looked up to and respected and uh emulated
0: boy aren't there it would be nice to do some shows that have this bible now
1: we were talking about that uh, earlier yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: um
1: number five home- Let's just finish out number five. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Let's do that. Our
1: home base is the USS Enterprise. Our starship is very definitely one of the characters in our series. It is the focal point of the lives of all our regular characters. Our stories have always either begun or ended aboard the starship, and many of our best tales have taken place entirely aboard that vessel. and I think that you know that's a good thing for a storyteller, and that's also a good thing for a uh, unit production manager because we already
0: have the sets. <laughs> so true. I love that. So true. I, I mean, it's interesting though because um, I don't think we're going to get into that, that this much here. But if you look at, and maybe we should one day, the stories that were developed, there was a lot of episodes that took place off the Enterprise, and right. uh, we should do. We, we should maybe one day. Well, I don't know if we want to do this <laughs> now only because I, I, I you know, we, we we try and draw a fine line where we don't like to to shit where other people eat, so to speak. So it's like people, I don't want to be in a position of criticizing, you know, all these scripts yeah. that they develop for phase two. It's not it, it, it's not it's fair not to them. And, and, and they, uh, they didn't
1: go through the uh, they didn't go through the process of uh, production, which would have, exactly. have sort of sort of
0: them out. exactly and you know look we all know how hard it is to make television and they had a very difficult um uh, they had so many challenges and and as you said they never got to see it through to the finish line so i i I don't want to be in a position where we're it's you know it's it's not like in in the in the um bible we're gonna you know analyze 23rd century bathing rituals uh either that that we can make fun of but i don't want to i don't want to criticize people's scripts a lot of these writers are still alive and you know worked really hard
2: You're still the, the reality is that anybody who's actually made television or anything knows that you are effectively rewriting until everything
0: is locked and done. Exactly. Exactly. So these were abandoned. They were, you know, it's not, they were never made. And uh, as we know, the final draft is always in the cutting room and these never made it to the cutting room unless you consider the child the devils do. But, you know, as John <laughs> Povall told us, you know, he disowns the child, you know, what Maurice Hurley did that rewrite. Right. Okay. So uh, then we go into script format. It talks about the Star Trek format, which is, is pretty common at that time. It's the yeah, teaser. It's pretty,
1: pretty standard.
0: Opening with action, always establishing a, a strong jeopardy, need, or other hook. Now, you, you don't Perhaps get these You don't get these notes in streaming anymore, Actually, The acts, <laughs> for, four acts. Now it's five acts on, on most shows, six acts. Um, act one usually begins with voiceover as Captain Kirk uh, dictates his log and tells us where we are, explains where Spock is. Not (laughs) (laughs) any necessary backstory should be laid in here, not in the teaser. The captain's log should be succinct and crisp um, in ship commander log language. Log, 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 marvelous log. Opening act one, we need some form of uh, orbit establishing or other um, silent shots. Okay, well, I don't know if we really need to have this in the Bible, but okay. Um, To... uh, both the captain's log and opening credits
2: and the number of the counting shall be four five is right out
0: yeah style a fast pace avoiding long philosophical exchanges or tedious explanations of equipment our cutting (laughs) technique is to use the shortest possible time between idea and execution for example kirk decides that a landing party will transport down to the planet hard cut to lights blinking on the transporter console Pull back to reveal the landing party stepping into the transporter. Cast but even and set that's list. too. Th- that's th- that's th- too much. Is it's like we're going much. down to
2: the planet. Cut two. There's a
0: cut transporter on the planet. They're transporting
1: down. Duh. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, Ashley, you'll you, you'll appreciate it. They clearly were not getting paid enough back then because the other thing they asked for is cast and it, set lists. Right? Have you ever done one in your? No, it's what we're right to my this, coordinators are I know. Do. And 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 at the at the very least, final draft can do with with two clicks of a button. Like they had a actually listen you know they had the writers doing this it's like oh man
1: yeah well you know writers have to
0: write yeah not do cast and set list that's for for other people
1: well they came up with it so they know it best
0: nobody wants to do cast sets. oh
1: no one wants to oh (laughs) i'm
0: so sorry
1: can i get your ship out i got news for you the art department doesn't want to do new sets either
4: but they do
0: (laughs) okay and then we we get a description of what the enterprise is i think we're all familiar this is all the same we're all yeah this is all the same we're very familiar with what the uss enterprise is we're familiar with the crew, but I think it's worth reading this. So, Gene, if you would uh, please to share with us your vision of the crew of Phase Two.
1: The crew of Phase Two, it's uh, it's international in origin, by the way. It's uh, completely multiracial, but even in this future century, we will see some traditional trappings, ornaments, and styles that suggest the Asiatic, the Arabic, the Latin, etc so far the vulcan officer has been our only crewman with bloodlines from another planet however it's likely in star trek II that we will find other aliens or part aliens working about our starship like mr uh, erics yeah. perhaps he was uh, uh he was one of those characters on the uh, cartoon show wasn't he
0: i seem to remember something like that he was an alien from another planet
1: i believe he was the uh, an Edosian uh he does I still this, want to he see him that and...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I still want to see him in live action me too Erics, I think that would be so cool uh, uh one more paragraph
1: about the crew be inventive use the crewmen, extras as well as actors to help suggest the enormous diversity of our vessel for example playing a scene in leisure attire as our people pass in <laughs> sports gear in obviously sport. going to or coming from a gymnasium or such or a 23rd like, century bathhouse perhaps where they where they can bathe and uh, change clothes and uh uh do also and of relax things. Uh, life aboard the enterprise believably again as in a <laughs> present day naval cruiser is not all hard work and stern devotion to duty it's also and,
0: bathing there's lots also and bathing, bathing and changing of clothes <laughs> oh and then and then we go into a description of the ship's power which again I don't think we need to... We know uh, this stuff. It hasn't changed. We know. Maybe it's it's a little little more powerful
1: than before, but uh, that's uh, to be expected.
0: Ships uh, weaponry. I'm a little Um,
1: unsettled
2: by these squirts of uh, phaser fire.
1: But,
4: uh,
2: yeah. You know, I didn't know that phaser fire can also be
0: set for proximity explosion. Yeah, that was a result of the special effects because sometimes instead of having the... um, you know the the phasers in one long beam, they would you know like explode. But this is before photon torpedoes. Yeah, okay. Just, you know true. where you get those things on the screen where they would just sort of like go. I was going to say, know, always start, interpreted those as like photon Yeah. So it, you know, I, I don't know, but uh, crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy it's, indeed. It is. It's it's. it's but very that's very how famous. it goes. That's the Enterprise, and that's her weapons Very cool stuff. Now we're gonna There's get Mr. to the characters, characters. weapons. Or, or Sean Connery. Um, okay. So, uh, and now of course we know the ship's weaponry is under the command of security chief Chekhov. Chekhov. which Which was an interesting, I mean, I guess they kind of wanted- Chekhov, You know what though? I kind of liked it if Chekhov has the guns, right?
2: Because- the, if, the Russian? Yeah. Because if Chekhov shows you a phaser in the first act, you know, he has to use it in the fourth act.
0: It's, I just, come you know, on, it's does so, it, work with me. Here. It well, shows you crazy Ivans all the time, too. It shows you them. how little they understood that character because, you know, uh, uh, it was just such a, it was like, oh, well, we have to find something for Chekhov. Let's make him the security chief. <laughs> there was nothing in his character, which, which look, the sad
1: truth is that there's nothing for Chekhov to do usually, nothing. ever, ever. He was there to stand in for Davy Jones that's it he's the Jordy Laforge. he he should be grateful he's the head of security because he actually has something to do occasionally I'm just saying like have like have his uh his firing console taken over by the first officer because he's too slow to do the job no (laughs) belay that phaser order look and and there's no one else to get zapped by things
0: and scream how much more interesting would it have been for if Chekhov had made that, belayed the captain's orders, because he was the security chief and he knew that. Well, you but, see, but, he probably should have.
2: Because
1: it's the 23rd century and everybody's again. competent. Yeah.
2: there Nobody again, makes mistakes.
1: Especially I, Chekhov. This is blasphemy, but I don't think Chekhov is all that competent anyway. Uh, you know? I mean, is it blasphemy if, if two out of three
0: agree? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I disagree. I think Chekhov is very competent. He's, look, he's a great front man for he's, the band. Look, I think, you know, it's all, it's all about having the right captain to follow and Clearly, you know, on the Reliant, he was doing much better under Terrell. It was a better relationship for him. <laughs> oh, it, he, it, he, it, he it was, was much better, better. better. He was really effective. He didn't know he that- over.
1: Did he didn't know that Alpha Six was do. not there. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God, it's like, aren't you, you the-
2: <laughs> Wait a like, shouldn't you know? <laughs> You just convince yeah. me.
1: What do you think about it? He's the worst officer there ever. The yeah, worst officer checkoff. <laughs> right. Instead of first off, anybody worst should have officer. known it should have been him. Yeah. Yes. Where are we it? going? I don't know, kitten. some Someplace
0: called City Alpha 5. <laughs> if doesn't ring a bell, he yeah. doesn't figure it out until he sees the belt buckle that says Botany Bay. Oh, yeah. I Electra mean, no. set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, how, how...
1: Chekhov is not a competent officer. He would you know have what? known that it's not SETI Alpha 6 just because they didn't pass just...
2: another planet on the way there. If Chekhov were just a little more confident,
1: Star Trek 2 would
2: have gone down a totally different way.
1: Yeah. Khan would have never got off the planet. No. He would have said, Look, Kipton, there's life forms on the planet. <laughs> By the way, where is the other goddamn planet?
4: Where is Seti Alpha 6?
2: It's
1: not there. This is is another planet. I don't know what it is, but maybe we shouldn't go down there.
2: Chekhov oh. changes the course of everything sure, in the Star Trek. I'm sure everything.
1: Walter Koenig listens to us occasionally. He's like throwing um, shit at his
2: wall right now. He's angry. angry. He's
0: he's you know he's, he's. But we love Walter. We, we love Walter. This is terrible. not about Walter. We just, Walter. just like about Chekhov. Chekhov a little he, bit. <laughs> he would probably agree that the writing was not <laughs> great for Chekhov. Yeah. I mean, he was very critical of the way. Um, I don't. She, I
1: don't think that they uh, wrote Chekhov very uh, capably. Um, fr- frankly I, I don't uh, I, I didn't like it and uh, I still don't
0: <laughs> you know what we should do a new podcast an entirely different podcast where we just do commentary on episodes with Walter he talks about all the stupid things um, even episodes
1: that he is uh, not in yeah I don't uh, I don't remember this one because I wasn't there um, but I guess that's I guess that's Khan. Uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god i still can't get over the star trek throw picture that he didn't realize he's about to fire those phasers yeah never yeah. occurs to him he doesn't even know he hadn't read the manual yet i, I look I, I, thought, he, I
1: thought it was just plug and play
0: <laughs> he talks about how in uh in Chekhov's Enterprises, his memoir of the shooting of the film, you know, for days they had him working on the console because uh, you know, the buttons would do certain things, and so that he yeah. was trained on it. But no one said, you know, really, Chekhov would know that in the event of an engine malfunction, the phasers would be cut off. Yeah, I mean, it would
1: probably show up on his board. Yeah, right. Yeah, you would. You think. would think. Oh, the light isn't
0: lit. I can't fire phasers, Captain. I mean, like you know, right when you're running out of gas. Your car, yeah. you know, it says low gas, right? There's yep. a red There's button. There's a big red tire pressure. So you yeah. think if the engines of the ship have gone offline, there would be like a little button, a little red light that says, oh, it says, oh are offline. no power for phasers. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you may want to use photon torpedoes instead. Or hard Would you language. care to
1: use photon torpedoes? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you. Okay. So now we're going to talk about. <laughs> or now that we've solved Star Trek. Oh my <laughs> now that we've solved Star Trek. It's impossible to write this show. This is why people should not be writing characters in canon anymore. Because it's too much complicated. They should only be writing original Star Trek, new characters, new situations, because it's impossible to keep track of everything that's happened. Because the canon is disabled when the engines are offline. Well, the canon works fine. with <laughs> the phasers. <laughs> Although wouldn't it be interesting? No, it wouldn't. I was gonna say no. if somebody made face two, you know. No,
1: not.
0: <laughs> how do you recast these characters? You can't. Just get out of the 23rd century. Well, Just go.
1: talking talking about characters that they didn't recast, there's a new character, Lieutenant Exom. I'm sorry, Lieutenant Zom. Uh <laughs> and his best friend,
2: Lieutenant Valdez. That's you don't want
0: you don't want to don't they want go to together the,
2: like oil and water.
0: You don't want to read the description of Captain Kirk? No, we've heard about Captain Kirk. Yeah, we, we know you've Captain heard, Kirk. You've heard about know. him. OK, if you want, he was
1: many things, but he was you never want, a geez, boy scout.
0: OK, OK, well, let's let's read Lieutenant Zong, then. Let's hear about Lieutenant Zong. Because
1: I think, you know, he's new. So let's play played
0: by the brilliant thespian, David Gutro. David Gutro. Can
1: a 22 year old Vulcan on his first space voyage fill the shoes of the legendary Mr.
0: Spock? It sounds like the beginning of The Odd Couple.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) That request
1: came from his wife. And two men
0: without (laughs) driving each other crazy. Crazy.
1: Zahn, pronounced "Zan." Zahn. (laughs) Was selected by the Vulcan Science Academy to attempt exactly that. Kirk was stunned when his new science officer reported aboard and found him to be a little more than a boy.
0: A Vulcan child?
1: Zahn looked something like a looks something like a young michael york with pointed ears (laughs) kirk had assumed the replacement was someone near spock's age the reports the reports he read on zahn listed him as a prominent scientist and teacher now the truth is zahn is a genius even by vulcan standards and we'll see in our episodes he is as competent as spock in all fields of science he lacks knowledge however in one very important area the human royalties (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Lunchboxes uh, <laughs> Beer ads un- Unlike Spock, Zahn is a full Vulcan Never go full Vulcan Full Vulcan <laughs> it's, he, had, he, he, had, had no he had no human mother He had no human mother to acquaint him with the Earth species He has no human half with which to feel and understand human emotions And he has no half-sister Or a brother And <laughs> I happen to know you don't have a brother or a sister or a well, son realizes that the reason that spock performed so well in his tasks on board the enterprise was that he was half human and therefore could understand emotional human nature in order to perform as well as spock he knows he's going to have to eliminate his vulcan revulsion at emotional displays he's he going to, to fact, stop vomiting every time somebody he is in fact going to have to reach down within himself and find the emotions that his society has repressed for thousands of years, so he will have some basis for fully understanding his human associates. What this means is, whereas Spock was engaged in a constant battle within himself to repress his emotions in order to be more Vulcan-like, Zahn will be engaged in a constant struggle within himself to release his buried emotions, to be more human-like for the sake of doing a good job, his primary consideration. This sounds an awful lot like data, don't you think? It does. This will Maybe be at least as and difficult And a little bit like to
0: Paul and Enterprise
1: as well. Sure. This will be at least as difficult for him as it was for Spock to maintain his stoic pose. Also, we'll get humor out of zahn trying to simulate laughter, anger, fear and other human feelings, though judging by the r- response of uh, data doing the same thing, not much humor, not much humor at all.
0: But we will explore explore Vulcan bathing rituals. That's right. And of course,
1: Vulcans change clothes very often. Any whistle pop goes the weasel.
0: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because in I don't know if this was in the um, early in my image. I think it was in the early in my image drafts where all the, 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 the women like are attracted to him and like, when's his pond far? And like all the yeomans are like talking about wanting to sleep with John. And, yeah. you know, like they're asking about like pond far. And it's really just tacky and awful. And I don't know yeah. if that was Livingston or if it was Gene. Who do you think it was? Yeah, there's some really dreadful stuff in those early in the image scripts. That is something we should consider doing a um, a read through on one of those early in the image drafts. Back when uh, Viter was NASA, NSA,
1: NSA, NSA, right?
0: yeah, Incel. <laughs> he wants to touch the creator
2: inappropriately.
1: Let's uh, let's skip a bit and say, as a full Vulcan, Zahn is even stronger than Spock. He can endure lack of water and high temperatures for very long periods. All his senses are particularly keen. He has a strong Vulcan mind-meld abilities. The young what you're Vulcan, saying,
0: Gene, is he's just better than Leonard. He's just better. He's a Mary Sue. He's a, a Mary
1: Sue. He's, he's certainly cheaper than Leonard. <laughs> The, the young Vulcan lieutenant is constantly shocked by human behavior. In preparing for this assignment, he made himself quite an expert on human behavior and history, and it is amusing to see him try to apply this knowledge too logically and too literally, like uh, marshmallows. Nothing he studied quite prepared him for the real thing, although Zahn tries hard to hide his surprise and discomfitures the crew is aware that it exists they often go out of their way to exaggerate their human qualities further distressing the young vulcan sort of a hazing like? kind of thing uh
0: but they, this and, is not and, and, and see this is why when people say gene coon left because gene ron didn't like humor in star trek that couldn't be true because gene is always putting in this awful comedy crap well maybe he just didn't like good humor <laughs> yeah 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 right
1: and i'm not talking about the ice cream But this is not done in mean spirit and never in a situation where it will interfere with starship efficiency oh no we will suspect that life among humans is causing Zahn to begin to feel some emotions himself on his planet this is of course grossest of sins and the young vulcan makes every effort to hide any sign of this weakness the science officer presides over the large console which is known as the library computer station it is second importance only to ship command and is located directly behind the captain's position. But nowhere near Chekhov. We put him off nowhere to the side. Nowhere near Checkoff. He can he's, do like, no damage. Chekhov can do a little alcove st- off to the Trying to, the to side. figure
0: out where all the planets are and what makes the phasers work and what all the lights do. Then, of course, uh, Commander Will Decker, which is, um, I think, the last role they cast, if I recall. Um, well, that, he's
1: he's, the, uh, he's the, the one that uh, Robert Wise cast for the movie
0: right that was the one role that he cast for the movie because everything else had been cast
1: Yep. let's talk sure let me know
3: when that backup's ready eyes out all due respect sir i hope this is some kind of starfleet pep talk i'm really too busy i'm taking over the set of seat will you're what i'm replacing you as captain of the enterprise you'll stay on as executive officer temporary grade reduction to commander You personally are assuming command? Yeah. May I ask why? My experience. Five years out there dealing with unknowns like this. My familiarity with the Enterprise, it's cruel. Admiral, this is an almost totally new Enterprise. You don't know her a tenth as well as I do. That's why you're staying aboard. I'm sorry. No, Admiral. I don't think you're sorry. Not one damn bit. I remember when you recommended me for this command. You told me how envious you were and how much you hoped you'd find a way to get a starship command again. Well, sir, it looks like you found a way. Report to the bridge, Commander. Immediately. Aye, sir.
0: Uh, In his useful 30s, Decker is the ship's executive officer, second in command. Kirk sometimes calls or refers to him as first, which is naval parlance for ship's first lieutenant, which would have been Decker's title in the days of sailing ships. Will Decker comes very near worshiping Kirk and would literally rather die than fail him. The prime responsibility at first is to provide his captain with the most efficient crew and vessel possible, and Will Decker takes this responsibility seriously. While not absorbed in his task of keeping the Enterprise at top fitness, sounds like a gym chain, Will Decker is a very humorous man. Well, this is before they cast Stephen Collins. He particularly enjoys playing the two perfect soulless marionette. Of an officer. The joke could be confusing to others because Will can become almost that kind of officer when Kirk's welfare or the safety of the ship is involved. We can see that Jim Kirk is very much in the process of training the young commander for the responsibilities of Starship Command someday. We will see the future captain begin to happen during this five year mission.
2: In Watch area- the captain begin to happen.
0: In areas, <laughs> what are you talking about? In areas of logistics and organization, he has a keen and analytical mind one which Kirk will rely on heavily. He will command some landing parties and many decisions will be life and death choices. Like phasers or photon torpedoes. Will's (laughs) background is all service. His father, his father's father, were Academy graduates, Starfleet officers, flag rank. Someday, surely he will wear a star. Because of his heritage and because he has been groomed since nearly birth for command, he has friends but tends to protect his privacy while respecting others. Between Kirk and Decker is a kind of father-son relationship that each cherishes. Now I have two things to say about this. One, um, it's very interesting because, you know, David Gerald does take credit in next generation for the fact that um, the first officer would really go on the away missions and the captain would say, you know, he's to, you know, and, and, uh, and so Riker would go on the missions, Picard would stay on the ship. I, I, I have to say, I think David is, is being honest because this is not in phase two Mm-hmm. Um, that, that element is not in phase two about the idea that Kirk would not be allowed to go on missions. Oh, no.
2: Can you imagine that, telling Shatner that, no, no. sorry. You well, go and that brings
0: me to the second point. I cannot imagine Bill being willing willing to play a mentor father figure to the number two character in the
2: show. No. Think about this that for is a second. To replace him on the show. Yeah. He is, like when Star Trek Two rolls around, like we've all sort of agree that he's celebrating his 50th birthday. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's somewhere in his mid-40s. Will Decker would be somewhere in his mid-30s to late 30s, being that right? Yeah. Father yeah, son might
4: pass.
2: Nonsense. It's like I don't know that it makes a shitload of sense. Now, I mean, like, I I do get like, you know, a mentor and protege that I get, but it's well, like, but you're I mean, considering that, about it.
1: Considering that uh what 10 years earlier, uh decker's father was killed by the doomsday machine yeah no kidding uh you know when he was in his mid-20s early 20s yeah uh maybe maybe kirk does fulfill a little bit of that uh about that, that father feels thing. a little
0: responsibility for him but i'm talking about actually the the the, the reality of of that relationship right. with right. bill oh, shatner, shatner. Yeah. yeah yeah and i don't i just don't see that happening I mean, we know that, you know, he was he was a fan of trick and felt threatened that this was a character that potentially they were grooming to replace Kirk eventually. And uh, I they were. And I just I can't imagine, you know, putting himself in a situation where like, well, Decker is the new star, the hot young star of, of Star Trek. And, you know, Kirk's like the father figure. I, I just right. don't see Don't don't see. No. Don't see that working yeah, for so, no. uh,
1: What's he doing there? He acts if cowardice is seen.
0: <laughs> well, let, let's hear a little bit about Ilea, Ashley.
3: Mr. Sulu. Mr. Sulu. Take Lieutenant Ilea in hand. Uh, sir? Uh, yes, of course.
2: Your uh, pre programming is already set in. It's all on the computer. You'll have no problem.
1: Sorry.
4: I am sworn to celibacy, Mr. Sulu. That makes me as safe as any human female.
3: I don't think the captain meant anything personal.
4: I would never take advantage of a sexually immature species. You can assure him that's true, can't you?
2: Lieutenant Ilea, pronounced Ilea, is a, <laughs> young, is a young female of planet 114 Delta V, which has recently joined the Federation. The Deltan race is much older than humans, with brains much more finely evolved in areas of art and mathematics and that thing we're getting to. These abilities make her a superb navigator, and her artistic abilities are evident in her sure, flowing precision at this task. We're still getting to that thing. Her face is breathtakingly beautiful. And Wait it, until you get to her knees. <laughs> oh my God. But like all Deltons, she is complete. Uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> like all Deltons, she is... <laughs> I don't know why Come on, Ashley, grow up, grow like up. All- like all, <laughs> like all Deltons, she's... Is- it's such a strange detail. She is completely hairless except for the eyes.
1: She has hairy okay. eyes.
2: She has hairy eyes. <laughs> <Like>, what? what? <laughs> her smooth, slender, bare head has the almost sensual quality of delicately contoured nudity, much like Patrick Stewart, always <laughs> hidden before the... <laughs> in other women. It gives her a striking almost Egyptian look, particularly when wearing a Delton jewel band head ornament. Available now. Available Lincoln, at, uh, <laughs> Lincoln <laughs> Enterprises. <laughs> Aaliyah's intelligence level is second only to the science officer, and that's by law. And she also has the Esper abilities common on her planet. Unlike the mind meld of Vulcans, it simply is the ability to sense images. And great joy minds. and gratitude. Great joy <laughs> and gratitude. Never <laughs> words or emotions, only images, shapes, sizes, sizes, textures. <laughs>
0: Get your mind out of the gutter! Come on. This is a on her podcast. planet,
2: sexual foreplay consists largely of lovers placing images in each other's minds, bathing, playing, and relaxing. <laughs> Just as Vulcans have a problem with emotions, Aaliyah has a problem which accompanies <laughs> her aboard the starship on one one four delta five. <laughs> almost everything in life is sex-oriented. It is a part of every friendship. Awkward. Every social engagement, every profession, oldest and newest. <laughs> it is simply the normal way to relate with others there. <laughs> have you got a fucking problem? No. Since constant sex is not the pattern of humans and others aboard this starship, alia has totally repressed this emotion drive
0: and social pattern. Or has she? Or can, has she? Can, can I say, I have to say something. Yes. I know that this, you know, has become, you know, a, a, a really funny runner with obviously Gene. Everything has the sexual element, but, but here's the thing, if you really start it kind of is interesting. It is interesting. It is. I just it's a like, little weirded out by the hairy eyeball. No, no, I, just, I get <laughs> it, But the, th- the thing is, had they actually explored in a non juvenile sophomoric way, mm-hmm. like it would have been a very different kind of Star Trek character. And it would have been something that they could have done in the 70s in a way that they could have never done in the 60s. Or that. And, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's like, you know, Star Trek never showed a character like that and has never really dealt with that. You know, sexuality in any kind of really interesting way, uh, you know, and um, so in a way, as funny as this is and as, as, as pure gene as it is, it's not without its merits. Absolutely. No, it's not. It's, it's actually like I think you're
2: right that it would be fascinating, fascinating to to explore things in this way. And it's funny because I think Star Trek deservedly has a reputation for being sexless mm-hmm. and considering Case, like yeah. the, the, the amount of it that Gene <laughs> or at least the effort that he seemed to put into trying to get it into the show. It's fast. It's interesting that it never showed up and, and actually really like exploring something like this today, you could do it in streaming in a really interesting way. I just don't know that culturally like, um, that could happen, that that would happen. Um, but it is, it's, it would be fascinating to try to go back to the Deltons and do something with them.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because there's still this idea that Star Trek is a quote unquote family show and somehow this would make it not a family show. And yet, you know, there's this, this whole controversy about, oh, in some of the new iterations of Star Trek, they have, you know, profanity in an attempt to make it hipper, right? And more adult. But, you know, the, the, the thing that would really make it sort of more adult you know, uh, is, is something like this, which has really been anathema to the show. Um, it's it just, it's a very, it's very interesting. And I mean, as we said, it's always been dealt with in a very juvenile way. You know, that whole scene that was cut from Star Trek, The bunch of picture. Uh, please take, uh, you know, uh, Lieutenant Aelia in hand. And Sumo's like, oh, bye. And, like, <laughs> and he's like, turns it's, into this like 14 year old boy Sunday. trying to. It's a terrible know, scene. It's a terrible scene. It's you know? a terrible scene. Uh, obviously there's a reason that you guys did not include it in the director's edition well not um, just us guys but uh, uh robert wise himself and robert wise himself or you guys and um and uh, you know it's just a, it's a dreadful scene but uh, it, it's it's this is interesting i mean this is potentially very interesting
1: yeah Agreed. when when handled correctly yes when hand when handled Uh, in the spirit of, yes, these are advanced humans. These are the best representations of human beings that we have out there in space dealing with different races and different cultures. And so they would be able to deal with this without much problem. That's right. It would not bother them to boldly
0: go where every man has gone before. But um, I think the key to developing Star Trek is always to what has Star Trek not done in the past or what could right. Star Trek not do in the past. Right. You know what can we do differently? And yet, you know, it, it's like we used to say about Star Trek in the 90s, you know, there comes a point, you know, on a Xerox machine where you make a copy of a copy of a copy and it starts to barely be legible because you keep copying the same thing over. And there was a sense that that's what Star Trek was doing. And there just comes a point where you really have to reinvent it in a dramatic way, taking what's great about it, you know, which are the ideas and the concept and, you know, the armature of it. But, you know, unfortunately, like what's happening in a lot of other cinema, it's like, oh, we got to, for safety, we have to keep all these beloved characters and keep finding ways to integrate them because, you know, if we, we, we're we too out there, we, we try and, you know, create something completely original and we don't have the crutch of, like, beloved, familiar characters, we're going to lose some of our audience.
2: Or versions of those characters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, um, obviously, they also go into describing McCoy, who we know who that is. Um, they, they, the sad thing is that they literally transfer the feud, the Spock McCoy feud, onto this relationship. Yeah, um, and you know they also, I think, make it more unpalatable because you have Zahn like Spock before him appears to regard McCoy as a bumbling country doctor, generally achieving cures through luck rather than science, which Spock never did. But, but Spock thought no, he was very confident. Spock a great said competent. that to 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 poke. McCoy. Yeah, he didn't believe that. He yeah, no. but McCoy was a phenomenal doctor. Yes. But Bones, uh, McCoy, like most cynics, is a heart of bleeding humanist. And the affectionate and humorous feud that was carried on between Spock and McCoy is continued between McCoy and Son, so which is wrong. just it's completely wrong. wrong for the characters. You should have a completely different relationship.
2: Remember how great it was when Dr. Pulaski used to give Data shit. How much the audience loves that. Yeah, it was yeah, like it, kicking a puppy. And it was so much fun to watch her kick the puppy every week. It would have been great. Guys. And we talked
0: about the reason that relationship worked is because Spock was so much smarter than um, McCoy. So it wasn't like he was kicking a puppy. He Spock could take it and could give it back as good as he got. Yeah, and, exactly. You know? And and that's why it didn't work with Pulaski and Data. And, then, and, and it, it's just here, it's like, he doesn't even know zon he has no relationship with on right. it's like you know plus you i mean they literally it's almost like they thought they were going to get leonard for the longest time and then at some point they realized they weren't and they did a search and replace change spock to zon how do you pronounce it zon <laughs>
2: right and right. Uh, it's the Lieutenant thing that they Zuck. say is different yeah. is this thing that's you know McCoy being known to severely chastise in private crewmen and officers who have been guilty of unfairness to Zahn and comparing him to Spock. But the thing is, you know, look, Mark, we know that it's easy to say something like this in a a Bible. The truth is you would do that scene exactly one time.
4: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly
2: once.
0: Yeah. If that scene survived.
1: Here's how it should have been. Okay. It should have been. That Zahn absolutely respected the ship's doctor because he knows how much learning it takes to get to that position, right? And not having any experience with McCoy, he would he would uh, very much respect him. And the other thing is, and that McCoy, having so much experience with Spock and knowing Spock's struggles with his humanity, would try and help Zahn. Um, experience some of that humanity himself. Yeah, yeah, a complete reversal. Right? Mm-hmm.
2: And in fact, Zahn himself, I think, if his primary struggle is, I need to understand human beings, yeah, the I most would imagine, human
1: person on the ship McCoy.
2: is Dr. McCoy. Right? It's like that could have been a really interesting friendship
0: relationship if I mean, approached. That's it, it just the, couldn't have been the same the thing. Father-son
1: that's the father son dynamic right
0: there. Yeah. Uh, and it's exactly what you said. If other people are unaccepting of this new guy, McCoy would be the most accepting that's absolutely.
1: right absolutely because he has
0: the empathy for this absolutely. guy who doesn't fit in and, um, and then that earns Zahn a place on the, in the ensemble, rather than just being a Spock surrogate. Yeah, you know, you, you create a real character that you can do something different, which makes it worthwhile to have that character. Yeah. But by the way, I have to read this now. Well, we're not going to go down the list of characters we know. I have to read this from Dr. Christine Chappell. Ah,
1: yes. Oh, God. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. So um, she's second in command of the ship's medical section. And but that's not what's funny. And McCoy seems to enjoy passing on to her every duty he finds too boring, irritating, annoying to himself. Yet outside of Captain Kirk, she's probably McCoy's closest confidant. That's news to me. An expert in psychotherapy, perhaps paving the way for Troy. She has unusual ability to teach patients how to use the healing powers of their own bodies. Oh God!
1: Through bathing and changing of clothes, <laughs> and, and relaxing in and playing, and, and and wearing uh, headpieces, and leisure suits. <laughs> yeah. Look, bless Gene for uh, creating this character for his wife and uh, you know, happy wife, happy TV show. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know, good for him. um, But it's a little bit heavy handed.
0: Yeah. A little. Yeah. And then they go on to destroy the uh, uh, talk about the yeoman, um, which is, you know, much what you would expect the standing sets. This is virtually a replay of what we read in the original series Bible the um, important equipment and terminology. Again, this is virtually, uh, you know, it's uh, identical identical to what we read in the previous Bible. Identical. Um. <laughs> 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 okay. So this brings us to our favorite part, the family feud where we do questions and answers for the writers and directors. And if there's a, this is always a very instructive part of our Bibles. So, um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring in the audience and allow them to ask questions of Gene, where he will explain to us, you know, theoretically how they could be a part of phase two. So the first question is uh, going to be asked by that gentleman in the first row. And uh, if you will, please, sir. The mission of the USS Enterprise, uh, isn't it something like that of, uh, say, English warships at the turn of the century?
1: Well, thank you for that uh, well-reasoned question. Uh, it's very close. Uh, as you recall, in those days, vessels of the major powers were assigned to sectors of various oceans where they represented their governments there, uh, out of contract with the uh, out of contact with the admiralty for long periods. The captains of such vessels had broad discretionary powers in regulating trade, uh, bush wars, putting down slavery starting slavery, assisting scientific investigations and geological surveys, even to become involved in relatively minor items like searching for a lost explorer or (laughs) schoolmistress.
0: The guy uh, has his hands up in the air, looks like Arnold Horshack. So uh, go ahead, ooh, ooh, Mr. Cotta. Uh, Do the uh, science fiction pros have any helpful hints for us?
1: Uh, yes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Beware of getting too wrapped up in the wonder of it all. The quality of a sci-fi tale is usually inversely proportionate to the pretensions a writer brings to it. Uh, I'm looking talking at you, to you Harlan. Harlan.
2: <laughs> wow! Uh-huh. In stereo for your listening enjoyment. No sense around.
0: That is so funny. Okay, um, Ashley, you wanna you wanna pick the next question?
2: Uh, yeah. Um. Mr. Roddenberry, is the Starship USS Enterprise a military vessel?
1: Uh, Well, yes, but uh, only semi-military in practice, uh, omitting features which are heavily authoritarian. For example, we are not aware of officers and enlisted men categories. Uh, Yes, we are. Uh, And we avoid saluting and other annoying medieval leftovers. On the other hand, we do keep a flavor of naval usage and terminology to help encourage believability and identification by the audience. After all, our own Navy today still retains remnants of tradition known to Nelson and Drake.
0: I'm uh, still confused about Earth of the Star Trek century. You said to uh, make logical projections into the future. Then turn down my story. <laughs> yes, Mr. Oxnicks.
1: <laughs> I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm... I'm very sorry about that, sir. You uh, turned
0: down my story.
1: <laughs> Mr. Barzini, will you please sit down? Uh, because, of the,
0: you, because of you,
1: Rodberry. Because the base, basis of it was an automated regimented inhuman earth federation of the future. We must have an optimistic projection of man and his society if we are to approve of and identify with Captain Kirk, the crew of the Enterprise and their mission. However, Earth colonies, parallel civilizations, and alien cultures can present a range of problems leading to a story.
3: You turned down my story!
1: Mr. Uh, Mr. Klingon, could you please remove that <laughs> gentleman? Thank you. Junk?
2: Stop it. <laughs> but
0: uh, Protecting the advanced <laughs> capabilities of your starship. Wouldn't man by that time have drastically altered such needs as food, physical love, sleep, etc.?
1: And not turn down his story? (laughs) Uh, Well, probably, but if we did it, it would be at the cost of dehumanizing the Star Trek characters that only a small fraction of the television audience would be interested. The great percentage of viewers might even be, uh, dare I say, repulsed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Then... Must the Starship crew be perfect humans?
1: No, you can project too optimistically. We want characters with a reasonable mixture of strength, weakness, and foibles. Well, he
0: didn't write this for the next game, No, he certainly (laughs) didn't. No.
1: Uh, Again, believability is the key here. What kind of men would logically and believably man a vessel of this type? Obviously, they'd be better selected and trained than the wild enlisted shore-leave group in Mr. Roberts. Uh, on the other hand, they have not gotten too stuffy to enjoy themselves and their senses on liberty in an exotic alien city filled with unique pleasures.
2: Such as learning to use the healing power of your own body.
1: And bathing and changing clothes.
2: And playing and relaxing.
0: That was my story. But <laughs> <laughs> what about Earth men on other planets?
1: I suppose we'll find them in colonies, scientific bases, mining claims, trading posts, diplomatic posts, and so on and so on and so on. These space colonies are and activities can be anything which results in an entertaining, believable story, practically practical to photograph. Don't ask us to create whole cities or alien landscapes. We can suggest them only. However, do keep in mind the possibility of aiming your story toward unusual local locations, like a small bar. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and or perhaps a hot
0: tub <laughs> and other civilizations
1: <laughs> well be creative but practical here too remember class m planets will often be similar to many parts of earth and with societies duplicating or intermixing almost any era in man's development jungle backgrounds exist on back lots so what about primeval worlds or a pioneer Indian type culture Lovely parkland exists locally, so do unusually highly modern buildings, and so do farms.
2: (laughs) I'm sorry, Gene, do you smell toast? It's like, what,
0: just, (laughs)
1: sorry. Don't you understand English? All right, all
0: right, (laughs) I'll agree. I'll agree that with some ingenuity, there may be hundreds of choices. But uh, what about the alien life on some of these worlds you're talking about?
1: Well, look, man-like creatures are the easiest, of course, some photos in the casting books notwithstanding. Uh, minor modifications of form, coloring, and hair distribution can be accomplished where necessary. And foreheads, foreheads, foreheads. Eyeballs. Uh, but keep in mind at the same time that out of the collected best science fiction stories of all time, a surprising majority of them center on the more unique and often more thrilling variations in attitudes, value, morals, intellectual power, and sense.
0: And I suppose there are always stories which can be done wholly aboard the starship.
1: I'm sorry, is this uh, is this taking place in New York? Because we have a lot of a lot of very New York sounding people. Um, Yes, a vessel of this size and complexity along with a crew of 430 contrasting individuals would have to be a pretty sterile place if it didn't contain many tales with considerable entertainment value.
0: Do uh, most stories always start aboard the USS Enterprise?
1: I, uh, I'm uh, Welcome from the uh, Muppet delegation. Uh, uh, no, we also like stories in which we pick up our main characters already on the surface of a planet with the essential elements of the story already going or assuming the preceding episode involved a highly interesting planet or civilization. We may stay on that world and do a second or even third new story there, which they never did. No, this can help a given story considerably since it allows extra time and money to be put into sets planned for multiple use. Uh, th- th- that that gentleman <laughs> over there? Um, I understand the concept of most landings taking place on planets approximating Earth, Mars conditions. But will we ever get to a planet where gravity or atmosphere is a problem? Well, yes, assuming the right story. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, assuming the right story. Also, some stories will undoubtedly take us outside our vessel into space for repair or to investigate some strange object there. But generally, we will avoid space helmets and weightlessness since such tales would be more legitimately concerned Earth's present era of space travel. The aim of our format is drama and entertainment based on character, rather than on details of technology and hardware unless you're watching other
0: shows <laughs> so Assey, would you like to know what earth is like in Star Trek century I would love to know what well, let's find out earth is like
2: in Star Trek century
1: well for one thing we'll seldom take a story back there and therefore don't expect <laughs> to get into subjects which would create great problems technical and otherwise the USS on our ship stands for United Spaceship indicating without troublesome specifics that mankind has found some unity on Earth Perhaps at long last, even peace. If you require a statement such as one that Earth's cities of the future are splendidly planned with 50 mile parkland strips around them, fine.
0: What about com- comedy or humor?
1: Well, we hope Star Trek and its characters are human enough and varied enough to be capable of humor. Uh, we have no objection to believable characters whose presence and attitudes create legitimate opportunities for
0: humor not but just opportunities things. are right out what will uh, bathing be like in the 23rd century
1: well you see bathing is a wonderful new expanse of knowledge and strange technologies to uh clean really the body get... and clean the mind and You're right uh, there in the and uh, we, we may not be able to show all of it but maybe uh <laughs> maybe some uh, little hints uh for our audience about what exactly goes on behind the bathroom door
2: there's <laughs> going to be a whole episode that's just that nooks and crannies. That's what it would be called on Voyager. No, it would just be called
0: crannies on Voyager. Um, it's like Patrick on extras. And I saw everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> what have been the big problem areas in past stories and script submissions?
1: I don't know. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Uh, again, it has been in areas of believability. Many otherwise good writers tend to pepper their science fiction with out of left field coincidences, unexplained and illogical actions, unmotivated character changes, things that they would never dream of perpetrating on even a kiddie show script, and uh, illogical situations. For example, it's swallowing quite a bit to believe a present day naval cruiser like our Enterprise would be full of renegades and mutineers.
0: Oh, oh my God, he did it again! <laughs> That's, that, he's talking to you, Harlan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, no drug dealers. Or that our crew would include a World War II Navy lower deck of grammar school graduate enlisted men. We want the exotic, the inexplicable, the terrifying, but not in the USS wow, Enterprise.
0: Wait, but, but just think about that. He says, or that our crew include a World War II Navy lower deck of grammar school graduate enlisted men. Yeah, but only le- ten years later, he has families on the Enterprise. That's right, families. It's Literally, amazing. grammar school. It's yeah. amazing to see how much. <laughs> his uh a- approach to uh, Star Trek evolved over the 10 years because I think
1: I think he's no he's talking about people in the crew he's he's definitely talking about like the people that l- work in the engine room being yeah, okay. not as smart as the you know command deck people ah okay okay I'll i buy think that. that's where his uh, uh, position is um he's definitely thinking of the old uh, uh U-boat movies
0: yeah 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 okay Okay, and then uh, what about this intellectual, intellectual rather than physical or emotional conflict?
1: Well, we've received some interesting analyses of possible alien civilizations, really, uh, socio economic speculation, which seemed brilliant to us. But the characters were sitting and talking rather than feeling moving and doing or bathing. They also fail our Gunsmoke killed their naked city rule that is would the basic story stripped of science fiction aspects, make an entertaining episode for one of these shows.
0: On Star Trek phase two, every episode is Naked City. <laughs> okay. That's <one> point. <laughs> I got into
2: like the 23rd century bathhouse and it was Naked City.
1: <laughs> it's uh, in, in between the changing of garments.
0: Well, look, <laughs> we're, 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 we, we got to wrap up the phase, but there's one last question we have for Gene, which uh, which wraps up our phase two Bible. If there is one most important thing, one most important thing. Just one. Just one, not two. What is it? What is it, Gene?
1: One. Well, that's a very good question. I'm going to answer it as best as I can. It is maintain reality. The crucial point to remember in doing science fiction is to keep it consistent. Once the nature of a place has been established, it must be inviolable. Do not set up a race of super beings only to have them outsmarted by Kirk at the end with a ploy that would barely fool Kojak. Ooh. You know what? Kojak is not stupid. And he loves you, baby. <laughs> Do not show us a super strong alien only to defeat it at the climax with a fist fight. Too if late. It is, <laughs> if it is super smart to begin with, it must be super smart throughout. Likewise, for strength or any other quality that an alien antagonist or, so, or society exhibits. Think things through. Consider right. the ramifications of any attributes that are given to an alien race or culture. Each attribute should color the entire spectrum of activities that the alien engages in, not just the aspects that are needed for plot convenience. In this manner, the reality of our situation will not have to be broken in order to solve whatever problem we've gotten the ship into in your episode. Keep in mind that these situations are far out to begin with. If they're not consistent within the created reality, then all credibility goes out the window and good drama departs with it.
0: My guess is that the words far out were never used in the Bible again. Probably not. You know, I think this out. is a, a vestige of a seventies Bible. The space nuts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe uh, <laughs> Sid and Marty Croft used it in their Bibles. That's although right. somehow I doubt that they, they did show lunch. Joke. I said lunch. Uh, well, th- that is fascinating. Huh? I, I, so we talked about this a little earlier. I think, is there anything here that changed your mind that somehow phase two um, could have been a success? That not my nope. <laughs> no, not
2: okay. at all. I, I think Star Trek dodged a bullet. And it's not because I don't think that the people involved, uh, I think they all wanted to do a, a great show. I think you always do. I don't think every anybody goes into things like not wanting to do that. I, I think that Gene certainly would have wanted to make a great show. But the truth of the matter is Star Trek the motion picture was probably the best expression of of what this ultimately wanted. To be, and I'm glad that we had it, um, but it was important, I think, to move beyond it, just so that Star Trek could move to that next level with both Star Trek Two, and then later with Next Generation, when Next Generation found its feet and let go of a lot of things. A lot. It, it seems to me that this show, weirdly, is feels. The, the things that I felt us kind of grinding against other than lots of 23rd century bathing, um, it, it was the things that were steeped in the past. It were the questions about like, well, is, is Bill Shatner really going to like say, okay, to this stuff with Will Decker? Does this relationship with Zon make any sense? Like there were things that just sort of felt like retread or kind of not quite well baked enough um, that, that didn't become an issue in the motion picture. I, I think we totally dodged a bullet
0: yeah i think you know there's that old expression you can't go home again Mm -hmm. and i think what they were literally trying to do with phase two was do the fourth season of the original series Mm -hmm. and you know 10 years had passed and not 10 literally 10 years 10 years since the first episode um and i just don't think you could recapture the magic and i certainly think without uh that unique relationship between bill and leonard um you certainly couldn't recapture that with uh uh you know, uh, Bill and and David, because, you know, and it also is because, you know, Bill and Leonard were contemporaries. They grew up you know, doing it. They were equals of, of equals stature as stars as a result of what they went through with Star Trek. It bonded them. But, um, you know, David would be so beneath Shatner on the pecking order that I don't think that there would have been the ability to have that kind of relationship. You no. know, it, it would have been a star vehicle for Shatner. And as much as that would be great. I don't think it would have given the, you know, these new characters a chance to sort of blossom. Um, And uh, again, we talked about earlier, I don't think they would have spent the money. And I think a lot of the stories were very derivative of stuff they had done uh, in the past. And uh, I think it was a kind of a recipe for disaster. Although if you had told the, the seven or eight year old me at the time, I mean, I was heartbroken when I read in Starlog that the show wasn't going forward. Well,
2: yeah, but that's because what you wanted at the time was that yeah. fourth season of, of Star Trek. Right. But if you also think about like how some of these things are structured, it's it's funny because the, the 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 web of relationships that are described in the character section are the kinds of things that can work in the next generation when nobody is set and established as a star. But when you come into Star Trek expecting certain things in the dynamic, right? Like they, they suddenly don't work because Shatner is automatically going to be the heart of every show. Number one. Number two, one of the reasons why the Spock McCoy relationship worked, aside from all the other things that we said, is that it existed in a context of how they related to Kirk and the decisions that had to be made in terms of telling the story that's the story. And when you start kind of breaking down, okay, so Kirk has got this mentor relationship with with Decker and then you've got McCoy and he kind of secretly like his son's. Friend and Zon is it? Like, all of that starts to become very inchoate and it isn't clear how it how it starts to turn into something that that pushes Shatner forward, who is always, always,
1: always
2: going to be the lodestar
1: and plus the show. Plus, like we found out, you know, when we went through all these other Bibles for the shows, all these early um, attempts at creating, uh, uh, you know. Chemistry between the characters Oof. in a certain way yeah. is forced and doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. It has to come out through the episodes the stage, themselves yeah. and developing along the way. Um, as you get to feel how the actors are acting together. Yeah. Um, and that's a completely essential thing to have to happen. Um, that a Bible cannot predict or force.
0: Yeah, you know? that's a great point. I also think that uh, you know, the character Spock and Leonard's performance is unique in the owls of Television, and I think it's a very unique and and brilliant character. The whole idea of this character uh, that is unemotional, but really, you know, suppressing, you know, all these emotions, and and you know, sort of wrestling with his place in the universe. And it was a a, a fascinating character. There's nothing approaching that uh, uh, level of um, intrigue of, of 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 depth in this. Show, you know, just by flipping Spock on doing the inverse of Spock is not interesting, right? Um, you know, and 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 uh, you know, the reason the Kirk character is so brilliant is obviously a huge part of that is Bill, you know, right. it was Bill's performance, you know, um, uh, he's a hero, hero writ large, uh, but Spock was, you know, a unique character and um, and casting matters because casting matters. you know,
2: Leonard Nimoy is. You know, look, he's playing this supposedly emotionless Vulcan, but he brings a charisma to it. He brings an intensity to it. um, that just kind of belies the the sort of the stoicism, right? The stoicism is there, but there's a fine line between stoicism and you're just reading flat. Yeah. And I don't want to, yeah. Yeah, And and that's not without shitting on like on on you know on on David Gattrow. It's just it's it's more about um there is something that magical that happens between an actor and the page. And so much of what we think about Vulcans, I think is very informed by what Nimoy brought to it and what he made out of it. And then a lot of people later on learning all the wrong lessons from it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Look, I also don't want to belabor this point, but there's something about this, you know, and we say this in general, 60s movies have dated better than 70s movies. There's something very... Uh, uh, unique of the period of 70s, like, you know, the shag carpeting, the the, the beige, all that, that really dates the 70s. And I'm not talking about genre movies. I'm talking about in general. Yeah. Whereas there's something about the 60s. I mean, like you look at a Bond movie from the 60s, they generally hold up better than the Bond movies from the 70s, right? There's something mm-hmm. timeless about the 60s. You know, and, and certainly in science fiction, there's that pre-Apollo, um, you know, and, and pre Kubrick where there, there's a certain, you know, inventiveness that has nothing to do with real science and real technology that kind of makes it timeless. Um, and then in the seventies, you have this post Apollo post Kubrick and, um, and, and the stuff in the seventies looks really dated, you know, and a lot of the sci-fi movies from the seventies looked really dated. And I have a feeling that phase two, unlike the original star Trek would be, look really dated right now.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, because you can see it. You can see it in those tests. You can see it in the costume design. It was basically going to go with sort of the same costumes, but mm-hmm. shorter, you know, shorter uh, yeah. sleeves. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it looked so seventies. Yeah. You know, you without the hairstyles? It, yeah. the hairstyles were terrible, yeah. and the, <laughs> the you know all the you know the Zahn tests. His hair was so long, and even you know the. Actors that were acting alongside them had really long hair. And it just it, it just smacks of like arc two and uh, yeah. you know, and Saturday morning shows. Like, well, do you even, know what it looks like? He... <laughs> Uh-oh, Ashley has uh, stood up from his chair. I and see is, that. Uh... is now no longer in orbit.
0: <laughs> oh, no, he's back. What's he I got there? I happen to
2: have on my shelf, and hopefully like, we can actually see this. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the intro- entropy effect, effect cover. This is the long original edition. Sulu. Yeah. Long-haired yeah. Sulu. Yeah. Right. That's what it would have been like with the mustache. Well, yeah. well, you know, with it, the it, porn stash and well, the long well,
0: hair. Well, and that's funny because I was gonna say, we've talked about this on the show before. Look at the transporter uh, or the guy who works in the um in Star Trek, the motion picture, Gary, Gary, um, uh, what's his name? Old you... Gary
1: Gary no.
0: The Gary Faga, no. who has that that studio 54 mustache, mustache. Yeah. yeah. And 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 even at the rec deck sequence, if you if you look at yeah. it. It, you know where they didn't really have the ability to like do uh, extensive hair and makeup on everyone. Yeah, it, it is so seventies. Yep, and um, I really think that this would have, you know, the seventies of it all would have been very debilitating for the series. Star Trek Boogie Nights.
1: Because remember, the Star Trek the original show was not really affected by the sixties, other than the short skirts. Mm-hmm. It was affected by the fifties. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean especially in the hairstyles and the uh you know the uh the grooming of the crew. Mm-hmm. Uh there were no beards you know except in Mirrorland. Um right. And uh it was it was very much in that sort of uh very uh controlled uh conservative
0: 50s mentality. Yeah, but then you look at the third season where you know, where it you starts to get a little hairy. Where it, yeah. it gets yeah because Freiberger didn't care the way that um, that Roddenberry did, and yeah. so you have the longer sideburns and Jimmy Doo weird hair, and it, that is dated. That, that looks very more, dated. Is, it's is noticeable, it's, and that's why you immediately know a third season episode because yep. it's just. Um, so uh, it's very, yeah, you know, it's very very interesting to think about, and this is this is really great. I, I I don't have the name of the person who suggested this episode. Uh, You know, uh, right here. But I want to thank them because we hadn't planned on. We thought we were done. We thought we were done. (laughs) We thought we we were
1: out, but you pulled
0: us back in. Yeah, we thought we were done with the with the Bible study. We, we, you know, we finished it right before we embarked on the holiday specials. And And here we are. uh, And here we are. And I'm I'm so glad we did because this was really interesting. The only time we've really dealt with phase two was in that wonderful John Povel episode. So it's it's really interesting to sort of do this deep dive into phase two because it's so fascinating. The what if of it all, this whole Star Trek series. And it wasn't just a concept. You know, this thing existed. I mean, there were, you know, 13 episodes that were going to be made. Obviously, in my image, the two hour pilot became Star Trek, the motion picture. There's so much substantive to it. You know, design work, sets, casting. I mean, it's it's really remarkable. And for people who aren't familiar with this um, era of 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 Star Trek, it's really interesting to go back and look at the you know the Star Trek that could have been, but right. wasn't. So anyway, uh, this was great. I want to thank Bill Ritter, of course, for continuing to make it sound good. Here we are, all these years later. We're still out of the studio, recording remotely. Uh, for the indefinite future. Uh, I hope everyone is keeping safe. I hope you're getting boosted and uh, vaccinated and, and staying safe and staying out of uh, harm's way. Um, hopefully one day we'll be able to get back to the studio, but I think we we at least, thanks to Bill Ritter's Herculean efforts, managed to, to sound pretty good, even remotely. And uh, we thank him and, of course, uh, Peter Holmstrom, uh, Natalie Miscawey, and uh, you, the audience, for joining us for another year of episodes from the Trek experts and on behalf of Ashley Miller, Darren Docterman and myself, we, we heartily encourage you uh, to go on uh, your podcast provider and uh, rate us five stars, wherever you listen, it helps to bring new people to show and follow us on social media to join the conversation about what you think phase two would have been thumbs up, thumbs down sideways, tantalizing or not. Anyway, until next week, we'll be back with an all new episode. Keep on trucking, and gloriously, of course.